Our Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is a treasure that we don't deserve, that it is a treasure that you graciously give us that we might know you and know life through our Lord Jesus Christ. So please be with us now by your spirit and help us to have this morning even more confidence in Jesus, our Saviour King, than we had when we walked through the doors this morning. We ask that you would do this for us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, Well, as I said, I've been away for 10 weeks, which is a long time to be away from home and uh, away from church. We got to visit a number of wonderful churches around uh, North America over our time. But I tell you, it's nothing like being home and being at church with you. And that's not some kind of glib sentimentality that um, I have to say. Uh, this morning as I come back, but there is something different about being at church around the world. There's something wonderful about travelling thousands of kilometres and to arrive at a church where you don't know anybody, but you do know the songs and you do know the Bible and it's the same Lord Jesus who's ruling his church all over the world. But there is something profoundly different Uh, when you come home and you know that you're going to be at church with your brothers and sisters who know you and you know them, those who hold you accountable, those who will practice forgiveness and repentance with you, those who will walk with you and grieve with you and rejoice with you through the joys and the struggles of everyday life. There's something profound in that and so it's wonderful to be home with you. Uh, And it's wonderful to to gather together in celebration of our identity as we do every week. And it's interesting because I feel like I'm picking up right where we left off ten weeks ago when we we met on All Saints uh, weekend back in November. We were celebrating our identity and that wonderful verse in Hebrews chapter 2 where Jesus says, Here I am and all the children that you have given me. And here in Luke's Gospel this morning, we see once again that our identity as a church is all wrapped up in who Jesus is, in his identity and his mission. We're seeing as we come uh, to the book of Luke that Jesus really is the one and only Saviour, King of the world, who would bring peace and mercy and rescue to our world that is trapped in the sin and darkness of our own making and under the inescapable shadow of death. Jesus is that one saviour king born miraculously to Mary and Joseph, his real parents, in a real family, in a real town, in a real place, in real time, in real history. That he was a real boy who really grew in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and man. And Luke, as he writes his Gospel account, he wants us to have ever-increasing certainty about who Jesus is. If you want to be certain about one thing in this world and in your lifetime, you want to be certain about who Jesus is. He's establishing Jesus' identity as this one and only Saviour King that we so desperately need and that God so graciously provides. And so we see in our passage that Michael so expertly read for us just then, Jesus' identity is announced by God, it's connected in history, 
and it is tested in reality. They're the three episodes that we have uh, before us that start with Jesus' baptism, where he is announced by God to be his beloved son. Uh, Have a look back with me at verse 21. When all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. Now, isn't that a wonderful comment about Jesus stepping into the waters of baptism with all the people? Uh, That he didn't stand up on a rock aloof and aloft, that he walked into the same waters of baptism as if to say, I am walking in your shoes. He wasn't baptised because he needed forgiveness or cleansing. He himself was the one who would bring forgiveness and cleansing. He's baptised by John in the Jordan uh, in a way to show his solidarity with, his fully identify with the humanity that he has come to bring forgiveness and cleansing to. And yet, as he comes and steps into the waters of baptism saying, I am one of you, I am here with you, I am here for you, there is something profoundly different about Jesus, isn't there? That uniquely announced from heaven by God, marked out and identified as the perfect, beloved Son of God and announced by God to be his chosen King. Have a look at those words that came from heaven. As he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now here you have the public announcement by God himself. Isn't that remarkable? We're not talking about some inner kind of whisper that only Jesus heard and shared with other people. Do you know what God said about me? We're talking about the audible voice an audible voice from heaven. Imagine if you, it was yesterday, right, and you were chilling by the banks of the Jordan trying to get some relief from the heat as you're lying on your towel and there's a group of people being baptised in the river next to you. You would have heard a voice from heaven. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Uh, And if you were a Bible-reading first-century Jewish person, uh, you would have heard the unmistakable echoes of Isaiah 42, that Jesus is the servant of God, the longed-for king. This is what um, God says about his servant some 700-plus years before Jesus arrived on the scene. This is the one that God promised would come. He said, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. This is the one God says from heaven. This is Jesus, my beloved son, publicly announced and marked out by God, sealed by the Holy Spirit for his ministry and his mission to bring justice to the nations, to bring the forgiveness and healing to those who would put their trust in him. He is announced by God 
and he is connected through history. Uh, We get to the genealogy of Jesus. Not only does God himself say that this is my son, but Luke goes to great lengths to show that Jesus historically fits the bill. He has all the right credentials to be this saviour king, the long-promised Messiah, the son of God. Uh, Like Matthew does at the start of his gospel, Luke wants to establish uh, that Jesus has all the right credentials to be the long-promised saviour king. Uh, Now, the astute Bible readers amongst us are going to say, uh, that's all well and good, but what do we do with the fact that the the genealogies in Matthew and Luke differ? They're the same uh, in kind of the back half, but uh, they talk about Joseph having two different fathers. So right off the bat, the first kind of generation, we get it wrong. What's going on there? Uh, Well, there's two possible answers, I think, to to that question. One of the, the big historical ones is that what Luke is saying is not... Um, uh, the, um, the biological ancestry of Jesus, but the legal one. Is Luke showing us these are the legal heirs to David's throne? Is that what he's doing? Or is it because of Leverite marriage? And so Luke is talking about um, Joseph's adopted father, whereas Matthew's talking about Joseph's biological father. You know, if you think back to the book of Ruth, remember in the book of Ruth, and thinking about how that Leverite marriage works, that if, um, if I die, that, 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 my, that my nearest kin has the responsibility of marrying my wife and providing an heir and continuing my family line. So they're the two options, I think, that we have going on here. Luke, is, uh, Luke and Matthew's accounts differ because of Leverite marriage in, in Joseph's family or because Luke's dealing with the, the, the legal heirs to David's throne rather than the biological heirs to David's throne. Either way, Matthew and Luke both want us to see that in Jesus' family line there are, there are uh, undisputable connections to King David and to Abraham. Jesus is, as you cast your eye over those 70 names here uh, in Luke chapter 3, Some of them stand out, like in uh, verse 31, Jesus is the son of David, the son of Jesse. Jesus has the right credentials because he's the great son of the great King David to whom God promised an eternal king would rule over his kingdom forever. Jesus fits that bill, the son of David. If you keep going and cast your eye down, Jesus Verse 33, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. Remember, God promised to Abraham that through his family he would bless all people and restore the world. That through him God would raise up a Messiah, a Christ. Jesus fits the bill. That's the point at which Matthew's genealogy finishes. But notice how Luke keeps going in verses 35 and following. Luke wants to go back further through Noah, goes back past Enoch and Seth. Luke wants to go all the way back to Adam in order to show that Israel's Messiah, the Saviour King, has come into the world to provide salvation not just for God's people Israel, 
but he is the universal saviour king of all the world. For all people of every nation, tribe and language. Luke wants to emphasise what Isaiah prophesied, that through God's Messiah, all of mankind will see God's salvation. That's significant, isn't it? That Jesus is the saviour, not just of God's people in the Western world, not just for those of a Judeo-Christian heritage. His scope, the scope of his salvation is universal, just as the scope of the human problem is universal. Luke takes us all the way back to Adam to say that in Jesus, what God is doing is a whole new humanity. That as Adam was the son of God, made in God's image to live in God's world under his rule but failed. As Israel was God's son, his chosen people marked out to be his treasured possession in his unique people reflecting his glory to the wider world but failed. As David was marked out to be the son of God, the the king who would rule with justice and equity and righteousness, and failed, Jesus, the Son of God, who fits the bill, who has the right credentials, who's been publicly affirmed by God from heaven and sealed with the Holy Spirit for his ministry and mission, Jesus will begin this whole new humanity and he will not fail. One of the things that Jesus being the new Adam, the final Adam, the perfect humanity means for us is that where Adam's sin leaves us in darkness and death, Jesus' new humanity, as Romans 5 teaches, will bring righteousness and life. That as Adam failed in his Uh, uh, mandate to live out and to reflect God's glory in the world, to live under God's loving rule and care, Jesus will succeed. And so for all those who would trust in him, that righteousness and life would be theirs. That forgiveness and cleansing that we so desperately need. Ever since Adam, humanity has longed for a way for our universal death problem to be dealt with once and for all time. And God says that will happen through his chosen servant, through his saviour king, and Jesus fits the bill. Um, Last Sunday, I was standing on the beach in Santa Monica. Hard to believe. What was amazing about standing on the beach in Santa Monica last Sunday was that even standing on the beach, you could not see the water because of the fog, let alone the mountains off to the side. Uh, And what we didn't know at the time is that 30 minutes up the road in Calabasas, Kobe Bryant's helicopter was trying to get above that fog and flew straight into the mountain. And I don't know how big an impact that's had on you, but it's had a big impact on the city of LA and on America. And I, listening to all the, the talk show hosts 
the kind of moral leaders of the United States, talk, listening to all the talk show hosts this week reflect on Kobe Bryant, the basketball player, they're all in shock and sadness, which is right, at his death and the death of his daughter and the eight other people on the, in the helicopter. But the reoccurring theme they keep saying is, how could this happen? He's so strong. He's so energetic. He's so handsome. And you think, strong, energetic, handsome, successful career, all the money in the world, beautiful family, private helicopter, personal sports academy. None of those things provide hope for humanity and yet all of those things are the places that we continue to look, the places that we continue to place our confidence, the places we continue to invest in and to think it is the goal of our life. But Kobe Bryant's just one in in an infinitely long list of people who've shown us again and again that none of those things can provide the ultimate solution to our death problem. That we need God's Saviour King, the new Adam, the Son of God, who would come to provide the forgiveness, the cleansing, the hope that we so desperately need. It's announced by God from heaven rightly connected in and through history with all the right credentials. And the final little episode in this section shows us that Jesus' identity tested in reality. He doesn't just have the credentials to be God's Saviour King. He walks the talk. He walks the talk. Let's read that together. Have a look at verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone... No, sorry, what did I... I've skipped over. Go back with me. Start at verse 1. I've lost match fitness. (laughs) Chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world and said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendour. It's been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to if you worship me. It will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him into Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down from from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Do you see where the devil is trying to get at Jesus? 
It's all at the question of his identity. If you are the son of God. And what is the temptation? The temptation is for the son of God to use his status and his authority and his position for his own needs, for his own promotion, for his self-serving, his self-serving kingdom. And Jesus refuses to bite. Jesus refuses to bite. In all the temptations, he comes back from the book of Deuteronomy to say to the devil, I am the son of God and I will trust, entrust myself to God perfectly where Adam failed, where Israel failed in the wilderness, where David failed as the king of God's people. Jesus will not fail. Jesus doesn't use his position as the Son of God for his own ends and his own needs. He entrusts himself to his Father. He depends upon God's promises. He will only worship the Lord his God if you are the Son of God. Jesus in resisting temptation is succeeding where Adam failed where Israel failed. Satan will continue to tempt Jesus to take the path of self-aggrandizement. But Jesus, as the Son of God, the Saviour King, the suffering servant, he will walk the path of humility, the path of dependence upon God, the path of the cross rather than the crown. And he will do so all the way to his death in Jerusalem. He fully submits to the will of his Father, worships him alone and trusts in his promises. Friends, this Jesus, the Saviour King, the suffering servant, the one and only Messiah, he perfectly fits the bill to be the King and the Saviour that you and I so desperately need. And I pray that we will leave here this morning with more confidence in him because of it. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you so much for the way that the Lord Jesus so perfectly fulfills the role of Saviour King, the one that we so desperately need and you so graciously provide. Please help us to entrust ourselves to him as he brings about the new humanity that we can be a part of by faith in him. Pray that each and every one of us this morning would leave here as adopted sons and daughters, knowing your blessing and your goodness because of Jesus. We ask it for his sake. Amen.